that song, it's such a humbling reminder for me in preparation and getting to come up and share with you from the Lord's Word the, the power of ancient truths that have stood the test of time. And, uh, you know, as I've gone around and I've been blessed to be able to visit some of you and even going into my own house, there's a difference between a house and a home, I would say. Um, a house is a place you live, but a home is a place where you feel at home, you feel comfortable. And uh, in our house... It became a home when Rachel puts her handy touch to it, when she decorates it and sets it up so that it, it just feels comfortable. You go in and you're relaxed. Um, and many of you have one or more people in your home that do that, and I guess they call that interior design, uh, how your home is set up to flow and look. And uh, interestingly, they say the Egyptians, I think, were the first to begin to actually care about the interior design. And... Um, or at least in recorded history, but it wasn't until the early 1900s in this nation that that became a career. And so much has this field of interior design grown. We have entire TV channels all about just interior design and and how to line up your home. And I was looking at it, and and, uh, Casey can correct me if I'm wrong because she studied this and is working on this, but uh, has a good eye for it. But some say there are seven elements, or well, I guess not some, Google says uh, there are seven elements to good design. Uh, they say space, line, forms, light, color, texture, and pattern. And keeping them coordinated and working together is the key to creating an aesthetically pleasing environment. And, you know, you look in and, and there are a lot of things we do for interior design. One thing that has baffled me are uh, this thing called throw pillows. I've never been allowed to throw them. And I'm not allowed to sit on them. I just get to look at them. One time I stayed at a, a friend's house, and they're out of this state, so I can talk about it. But Now, I went in, and I was a guest in their home, and I couldn't find the bed. So I had to throw the throw pillows. There were like 20 of them just to remove off of there. Um, you know, and then you got countertops. I can't even keep up with it. You have formica, then you, we had the trend with tile, and then uh, the trend with granite, quartz, concrete, bamboo. Um, and so, the, you know, and the only interior design I ever really do is once a year I go in my office and I move the desk to a different wall. So it just feels better to me. I used to move the couch around, but in our new house that doesn't, doesn't work since we moved up here. But we love trends and changes and some people try to keep up with them and others give up and realize that you just wait 10 years and you'll be back in style because it all circles back around. And, you know, as we look at this, I think that, you know, we all have um, some sort of home and family and even part of the home since the the beginning of creation, God designed a home uh, to be with a husband and a wife and for us to be in these units called families for better or for worse than sin entered the world. But this is God's original design instituted before sin even entered the world. Uh, his design for the home was a husband and wife. And his design for us as people to best reflect the image of God is as male and female, complementing one another, coming together, and showing the fullness of the Lord and his image in us. As male and female, he created us. And to be honest, we're at a, a unique time in history where we began to redefine the home and wonder, how do you define a marriage? What does a marriage look like? Who should be in a marriage? And it's pretty wide open right now in our culture. 
And some have questioned, is marriage now even a worthwhile institution within our culture, within our world? Is it even worth it anymore? The name of our current series is indeed Unoffendable. And today we come across one of the most offendable passages in all of Scripture, considering our current context. And so, as we continue in 1 Peter, if you have your Bibles, you can open up with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read these uh, first six verses and, and uh, allow you to listen to them. And, and even as you're listening to them, put on your thinking cap a little bit and think about somebody who does not know Jesus, who might hear these and wonder what we're teaching. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives." When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair, the putting on of gold jewelry or clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, I like reading that and just kind of looking out because typically you can see a few responses. Some are just that pushback and be like, good luck with that today, Pastor. Yeah, good luck with that. Others might in your heart begin to just feel a little tension there. What is this saying? I don't like the sound of it. It doesn't sound very modern in its, in its approach to how relationships should go. Well, I believe that as a church, one of our core values is being Christ-centered and, and looking uh, at the gospel as we looked at earlier and saying, what is God's design? And so the, one of the reasons we preach through books of the Bible, we do topics as well, but it's when we come to a tough passage, we don't have to run and hide from it. You know, when you get in a tough spot in a relationship and it's an awkward thing or it's talking about money for the first time or, or dealing with hurt feelings or a misunderstanding, the best thing you can do for your relationship is to lean into it, work through it, not take offense at the other person, but work through and talk to an understanding. We want to be a church that leans into the scriptures. We don't want to be afraid of what they say, but we want to say, okay, what is this really saying? How can we understand it? And I believe that with the toughest questions we have, and you're going to see that especially over this next month, we get into some really good stuff. But we're going to lean into them, and it's okay to ask tough questions and, and doubt and wonder if this is good. Because I think if you're ready to work through this with me this morning, I think what our culture truly is asking, and maybe even within the church people are asking this question, is God's interior design for marriage good? Is it helpful to actually live that way? And is it true? Is it good, helpful, and true? And I think as we've talked in this series, we've said that that really is a question people are asking about following Jesus in the midst of this big cultural shift that we've seen. Is following Jesus good? Is it good for society? Is it good for me? Is it helpful? And is it true? Now that first, last part there, is it true? That's not saying, is the Bible true, or is this really what Peter wrote? I mean, we've got tons of evidence, archaeological, these manuscripts, 
are the most accurate historical document I think we have, especially with the age of them. And, and so when we look at it and say, is it true, what we're saying is, what he's saying true for us today? How does it apply to us today in 2019? What is the truth embedded in here, the key principle? Uh, are we, is Peter and Paul teaches on the same thing and Jesus talks about marriage? Uh, are what they had to say, was it completely bound by the culture of their time? Or are there some universal truths that still apply here today? Now, I believe the answer is yes, but I want to show you how I got there because I want you to be good at looking in the scriptures and determining things. And I'm not saying anybody has to agree with me on this. I'm saying let's have a conversation, not get offended, and see what the scriptures say. So there's some questions you can ask that help you to figure out some of these tough passages. What is the scripture's meaning in the immediate context? Well, we're studying a letter written by Peter. So within this letter, what does this scripture mean? What, how can other verses within this letter and the people he's even writing to help us understand this? We can do the same with Paul. Is the truth or principle found in other New Testament or Old Testament scriptures? And how does this truth connect with or reveal to us a better understanding of the gospel? And so, I don't know if you've ever walked into a home and each room you go into, like one is bright yellow, the next one's black, the next one's pink, and totally different de decorations in all of them, and it can be Whoa, nothing flows together here. Nothing seems to fit together. And it can be kind of hard. You don't really feel comfortable there. I think sometimes we, we can look at the scriptures and say, pull out passages like this, and they're like, seem out of place for the design of the home. Doesn't seem to fit the God who we know or understand him to be. And what we hope to do today is show that actually there's quite a flow and a connection in everything God teaches the design does fit together if we look at it and we take time to press into it. You know, we, we have this Bible, 66 books written by about 40 men of diverse backgrounds over a period of 1,500 years. Yeah, amazingly, it tells a unified story about who God is and his plan of redemption for the world and his character. And so as we look at that, and we come to this, we can trust that God is in control. And so we talked earlier this morning about the gospel. How does this fit in with the gospel? Well, remember, we are to recover and pursue God's design. And when it comes to marriage, we need to remember that marriage was given to us as a gift. It was good that when he made Adam, he said, it's going to be good that you're not alone. And so he brought in Eve created her from the side of Adam, that they would be one. They, they would complement one another, and, have, and that complementing means that we're not exactly the same. You get a little boy and a little girl, you know that from the moment of birth and moving forward. There, there's a difference in us. And even though brokenness has marred it and caused questions, that was the original design of husband and wife coming together, given to us by God. And yet marriage is also seen as a picture for the gospel. Uh, and we're going to see how Jesus himself is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. And we, the church, submit to Jesus. 
And so marriage is a pretty important picture throughout Scripture. It's a, that picture of that awesome end of the age where we enter into eternity with God and we have this great celebration and picture. And so it's in this gospel story that we see God's design. And even though sin and brokenness have led to pain, they've led to misuse of these verses in the church, outside of the church, and lots of pain around family and marriage and relationships, we want to look at and zoom back in here to First Peter and see if we can't find the, the meaning within the scriptures. And so verse 1 starts with, in chapter 3, the word likewise. Likewise, that's a pretty interesting word. And then verse 7 is also going to say likewise. Next week, husbands, guys, we're going to address you. I couldn't fit it all into one sermon, sorry. So this week's wives, next week's husbands. And so... It says likewise, so that likewise tells us something. It's connecting to something Peter has already been teaching and talking about that we've already looked at. And so we, we can look here, just back a few verses. Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. He repeats that throughout this, reminding us that well, our citizenship is in heaven. We are down here on earth. How are we to live on earth knowing that heaven is our eternal home? And he says, well, you're to abstain from the passions of the flesh. They wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. It says a lot there, but next, this week and next week, and we talked about last week, but honorable is the key, right? We want to have honorable behavior. And then we know that people may not agree with what God teaches and say, you're evil. It's not good to follow God. And then our good deeds. Peter repeats this over and over. Your good deeds, your good deeds make a difference. They make a difference. And then he finishes out and say, says this. Be subject, that words, be in submission for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And then it says whether the emperor is supreme or governors is appointed. We talked about uh, submitting to government last week. And you can listen to that online if you missed it. Um, our role in, in accepting that God's plan for government is good for us. And so we see this idea of being in subjection and submitting is embedded as followers of Christ. We're to honor others, do good deeds, and submit in these human institutions. And marriage is one of those human institutions that God has designed. But we do it for the Lord's sake. And that's a key piece of what we're going to look at. And so uh, as we look at this, we understand this, and, and we talk about submission. We talk that the world's view of submission is what? One of weakness. You're defeated like a wrestling match. We got your pinned down, and, and we're going to lord it over you. We're stronger than you. And so we have to say, no, what does the Bible define? What does Peter mean? What does Paul mean in his same passages when he says, Submit. Well, biblical submission is a voluntary choice to place oneself under God's authority. And we dig, dug pretty deep into that last week, but it's this idea that we have this opportunity and choice to submit to God, to show that we fear God. The way we show we fear God is by submitting to his authority and when he calls us to submit under other institutions and persons' authority. In the Bible, we see Esther, Abigail, Daniel... Joseph, and then we see Peter and Paul, and 
all as examples of this, but most of all, we see Jesus Christ as the example of biblical submission. He did not consider his place in heaven, his throne, something to be held on to, but rather he submitted to the will of God the Father and, and came down and walked among us. And even as he was in that garden, if you remember, he was praying and, and he knew he was about to be betrayed and taken to the cross and he submitted himself. He said, if there's any other way to take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And he would teach the the Pharisees and he would speak and he would say the son only does what he sees the father doing Jesus lived in submission and I don't think any of us think of him as weak defeated or lesser as a person or lesser in value and so when we talk to wives we say Jesus is your ultimate example of this strong choice and ultimately, this choice says, I trust in God's plans above my own, above the world's opinions. I'm placing my trust in God. If he says this is the design, I'm going to trust that it is good and true and right. And so here the command is specifically to a wife to be subject to or submit to, voluntary, place herself under God's authority that she's given, he's given to the husband, which we'll flesh out next week. And so in this, we look and we see uniquely, Peter has this picture, um, th this picture of a woman who is submitting, but he's now in this one, Paul just kind of says it, but Peter says, let me show you the power of following God's plan. Here's the power. The power is such that if you got married and then in your marriage, one of you, the wife comes to know Jesus, but the husband doesn't accept the gospel. That you're following my plan for marriage can win his heart without even saying a word. You see, anyone who's ever been unequally yoked or dealt with that relationship or worked with that knows it. it I mean, spiritually, if you're not on the same page, marriage has enough tension. That just adds to it. And so he's saying here, there's hope in this. What does it look like to submit? And to have this, this power to actually see God soften a heart. Um, it, it's a picture that he gives, and we'll look at later, but it's another picture that he gives of, of submission. As we read earlier in those verses, it begins to impact people's hearts. And they eventually often will come and, and glorify God because of the submission they see in these different realms of human institutions and how we follow the Lord. You see, how we live impacts people around us, whether it's in our home or out in the workplace or in school or with our parents. The way we choose to live impacts those around us. And so he says here, without a word. Now, he's not saying that you can't ever talk. You just live without a word and something's going to happen. We, we know that from the Gospels and even from... Peter's own word here, it's the good news that saves. You've got to hear the gospel. It's a message to respond to. Uh, good deeds don't lead people to Christ across that threshold. They open up people's hearts to hear the gospel. But it's that message that we repent and believe and follow that saves. But what this, then what is this saying? Well, it's saying you need to know when to share and when not to share. It's not a call to be silent, but a call for discernment of when to speak. 
wisdom with timing and content and tone in how you approach your spouse. Peter calls this a respectful and pure conduct. He says, so that may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. He begins to explain that. Well, pure conduct is uh, that idea that, that you're following the Lord. Your, your actions are not manipulating. There's a motive of love for Jesus and a love for your spouse. It, it's pure. You're not trying to get something out of them or, 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 or to convince them of anything. Your, your motives are really for their eternal life and where they're going to end up. And so, one of the questions we have in Peter, and we see here, it says that they maybe see your respectful and pure conduct. That word respectful there, some translations put, uh, may see your fear or your reverence, but that word there is fear. So then we have to say, oh, are you to fear your husband? Well, if we look throughout this, that fear refers to a fear of the Lord. It's your respect for the Lord that inspires you for his sake to submit to his plan. And respect for the Lord isn't a fear of some commander that's going to crush you. It's an awe and wonder at how great and mighty and powerful God is. And so out of respect for the Lord and a pure heart, you conduct yourself. And so what this is saying is, that the wife trusts in Jesus Christ. He's the center. He's the one she trusts. He is the one who meets her spiritual needs. Jesus is the one that cares for her. Do you trust Jesus? That's what this is saying. Are you trusting him? The woman is not afraid of her husband. She's got freedom to choose to submit or not to submit. But she trusts in God's design over and above her own desires. Really, this is a call to uh, wives to say, do you trust God's design is good? He created the world. He knows how he intended this relationship to work. Do you trust that plan? You see, this is where we lose it, guys. We read that and we start to think, you know what? I do deserve a little more respect. <laughs> you know what? I do want people to, you know, no, I'm in the room, and I'm in control. But the reality is there's nothing inherent in being a husband or a man that affords us any place of authority. You know what? Uh, we don't deserve honor. We don't deserve superiority over our wives or any other female, for that matter. We're sinners on equal grounds with our wives in need of Jesus Christ as our Savior. And when men in the church or men in societies and tribes throughout history have taken over this spot, <laughs> it's been bad, abusive, and horrible, and it's caused a stain on Jesus' name. We're going to talk about that even more next week, guys. You're not fully off the hook, but just know that that's not what we're saying here. So God's interior design for our flourishing was established at creation, and just as Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit complement one another, and they're equally God, so do husband and wife complement one another, and we're equal in value and worth, and we equally reflect God's image. 
No, it gets even more awkward here, so let's go into it here. Don't let your adorning be external to braiding your hair, putting on a gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. Anybody ever been in a place where they said, women can't braid their hair and you shouldn't wear jewelry? But none of them ever say you can't wear clothing, but they don't, come, they don't apply their exegesis uh, consistently there, right? But it's, what is it saying? Well, if you look at the word adorning, the adorning means where you place, it's your energy and your effort. So uh, girls, young ladies, listen closely, and men too. Where are you putting your energy and your effort? Is it in your outward appearance? Anybody notice what was on Friday, Valentine's? You ever see the commercials for that? Outward, 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 telling the women, dress this, wear this. If you look sexier and do this, you can convince your husband to buy you this. That's the messages that we get. Use what you have and manipulate your husband to get him or to get that man to pay attention to you. It's all outward. We begin to promote that and we be- begin to put values on that. And that's what you see. We have it all over. You just flip open your phone and that's the message that we are sending. But that's not the message God has about the worth and what beauty truly is. He says, listen, I've got an interior design plan that looks even better. And so he says, don't worry about those outward appearances. What does he do? He says, you need to let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. Right? God looks at our heart. The gospel's about our heart, a relationship with him. And he says, there's a beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. What kind of beauty? Imperishable. That's the same word he used in in the first opening of this letter to describe our eternal inheritance and what heaven is like. Imperishable, unfading, undefiled. Perfect. Last I checked, beauty is perishable, right? External beauty. We all get older, things happen, seasons of life. It doesn't last. But the beauty on the inside is eternal, imperishable. Now, he's not saying that... that we, we are. God designed us to be attracted to one another and to our spouse and to have physical intimacy and to, and, to, and to want to be beautiful and handsome for one another. But that's not to be what our relationship hinges on. He says, no, there's an imperishable beauty that is inward beauty. And that the value of a woman is her seeking to be a woman after God's own heart. And so, young men, that's what you look for. That's what you should celebrate in your sisters and your sisters in Christ. That's what we should look towards. Inward beauty. Now, it's described as a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, this can often be misunderstood as the full personality of a woman is gentle and quiet. But it is rather a conduct and how she conducts herself that we are talking about here. This is really saying, how is the Holy Spirit evident alongside your spiritual gifts and your God-given personality? It's not saying all women are the same and you have to act the same. And so the picture here, um, as we look at this, is this idea of someone who is uh, gentle and somebody who is uh, quiet in their spirit. Gentle has to do with the choice of words, I think. 
gentle how you conduct yourself um, and how you interact with your husband, treating and and showing him respect. Um, And then this attitude, this idea of quiet, once again, is it not speaking, but it's used in other uh, literature. uh, That Greek word is used, tranquil. Have you ever been out on a lake in the morning and just see it pure glass, smooth, saying that within the, the trials and troubles of this life, tranquility is, is just saying, I trust the Lord in this. I'm going to trust him over and above myself even. And the funny thing is that when a lake is tranquil, what do you see around it? A reflection. And so when a woman's spirit is tranquil, Jesus' reflection comes through more. And so there's power in doing all of this, and there's power in this attitude and trust. It's an unoffendable heart that says, I'm not going to be so quick to be offended by this situation. I am going to trust in God. Looking ahead to 1 Peter 3.15, it says this. This is a command to all of us. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. But do so with gentleness and respect. So this call to have a spirit that is gentle in responding, it's not just for the wife to the husband, but so powerful is it whenever we choose to conduct ourselves in the trust of Christ that it can even win over people who are trying to question our faith. It can win their hearts and make a difference in in our testimony to the world. So I hope here this morning you're beginning to appreciate and see this connection of God's design how it's connected to everything we are in Christ, how our identity is in Christ. And as we look at this, he begins to talk about this submissive wife, and it's a beautiful picture of someone who is strong, who understands to trust in the Lord and that words matter, and how we talk to our spouse matters, and that Jesus is in control. A, a, a submissive wife is not somebody who's abused, weak, or even cowardly, but it's really a bold and courageous woman that honors the Lord and changes the world with that. Peter concludes here with, with, with this quick example, and he says that we're to look to the whole, holy women of the past, and to look at Sarah, who obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And so if you know anything about the Bible and Sarah's story, you're like, huh, I think some really big mistakes by her and some huge mistakes by her husband. Isn't that the one who couldn't have a child? So he's, they decided it'd be best if he took his maidservant and had a child with her. As I dug into this, because I struggled with it when I first read it, I'm like, what is he talking about? Well, there's only one time that we see this word used in this situation Peter described used in the scriptures. And so if it's in the scriptures, we can say, well, that's got to be what Peter is referring to. And so if we look back in Genesis, um, had the visitors, angels visiting, and they said, where's Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a a son. Remember, they were getting up close to 100 years old. 
So Sarah, hearing this in the tent door behind him, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. Uh, she wasn't in childbearing days anymore. That had ceased. And she laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out, my Lord is old. Shall I have pleasure? Right there, he's referring to, that's the only place in Scripture we see her say, My Lord is old. That's a term of respect for her husband. So what it's saying here is that Sarah, even in this awkward circumstance, her husband's old, showed respect to her husband the way she talked. This last August, we hosted a love and respect marriage conference. Um, and and uh, the word was that men want to be respected more than loved, and women want to feel loved more than they have that need to be respected. And, and I think what he's saying here is words matter. <laughs> Our words matter. And that She's naturally speaking of her husband in a tone of respect around others, showing she does love him and she values him. Even though he's not a believer, you can do that. Even if his conduct is sinful, you can speak in a way that is honoring of him, not of his behavior necessarily. And so, once again, obedience is tied to that inner beauty and resisting that, e that urge that is so common in our world to just put down or talk or talk behind one another's back or, or complain. And so, it's not only true for marriage, but it's really true for how we treat one another's believers, right? It's how we talk about one another matters. So we have a, a woman here described that is as bold as a lion and yet tranquil and hope-filled, doing good deeds in a way that makes her husband and others see Jesus Christ in and through her and give him the glory. Now, I always close these out by saying a few things just to make it even more clear on what submission is not. And we'll blend that into the husband's role. But it is not agreeing with the husband on all important matters and not having a say in a relationship. It is not avoiding effort to win a husband's heart for Christ. It is not leaving your brain at the altar, but it's very necessary to live this out, and it takes a lot of mental strength to trust in the Lord. It's not putting the will of the husband before the will of Jesus. We said that last week, right, with government. We submit to government, and we obey government until they call us to disobey the Lord. And it's not getting all your spiritual strength through the husband, but both of you looking to Christ and the husband taking the lead in that. But uh, it's showing that it's a direct relationship that the Holy Spirit empowers the woman to have this fearless fear. And it's not acting out of fear of the husband at all. And it's not saying that we don't draw the line when there's physical, mental, emotional, verbal abuse going on. I love this picture in this one sentence summary by John Piper. He says this, Submission is the divine calling of a wife to joyfully and fearlessly honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to help carry it through according to her gifts. I love that last line, according to her gifts. The way it looks in our home with Rachel and I figuring this out, it's going to look different than in other homes because you all have different gifts and personalities. And I want Incline to be a place that celebrates women 
that finds how we complement one another, that allows you to use your gifts and flourish in the kingdom. And yet within that we say, Lord, it doesn't seem to fit our culture today, but you designed it. You're the original interior design. You, you made us. And you said this is how the world works best when we follow you in your plan. So sometimes I don't understand it, but I'm going to follow it because it's clear in your word. And I trust that your son Jesus did it. And what an example he is for us. So we want to value, honor, and find worthy the women of incline and all the women in our lives. And ultimately, we see that that works out in being submissive to one another, submissive to elders, submissive. It's amazing. Whenever we begin to understand this concept, it will free you in your life to not have to battle back against God's plan. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that of all these things we try and figure out in the world, you did leave us with your design. And, and it truly is a recover and pursue process for us to really figure out and wrestle with, Lord, how does this apply? This is hard because it's, we're, we're sinners <laughs> trying to figure out your word, Lord. And we offend one another. We, we hurt those closest to us. And Lord, we even confess as men that we've abused this. Even within the church, we've taken this too far. Lord, help us to have a right understanding and approach with humility and, and help each husband and wife to figure this out and to wrestle with it and say, just with open hands, say, Lord, what does this look like for us? Help my heart for through this. And especially for women that are not equally yoked, where they're just praying their husband will come to know the Lord. May they just trust in you and their conduct, win his heart over so he'll respond to the gospel. What an amazing testimony that is. Lord, give us all courage as we hold to these things and try to correctly explain them in a culture that pushes back and says, that makes Christianity evil whenever you preach that or teach that. Oh, Lord, may we see the freedom there is in your design, not just for our home, but for us as citizens and even for us as a church as we work together. May we, you guide incline, and may we be a place where women are free to use their gifts and are celebrated as equal heirs to the throne. And we thank you for that, Lord. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen.